Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. All right, it's time for Baldry's Beat. Keith Baldry, Legislative Bureau Chief for Global News. Good morning, Keith. Good morning. We devoted the first hour of the show to the continuing problems that we're seeing in the downtown east side with the sprawling tent city down there, some mm-hmm. of the violence we're seeing on the streets, the path forward here. And it comes at a time when Shane Ramsey, the CEO of BC Housing, just packed it in yesterday and released this extraordinary letter mm-hmm. talking about his own personal despair sort of watching what's going on in the streets, sort of admitting that he can't solve it. Well, he hasn't. It was quite quite the letter, quite the departure, yeah. departing um, a salvo. But he hasn't given any media interviews, and it'll be interesting. And again, to put this in context, back last month, Ernst and Young, um, a report, an external audit of BC Housing concluded there were serious management problems in that agency. There wasn't sufficient oversight of expenditures and decision making. Very critical. Uh, in the, as that was released, uh, David Eby, who was the Minister for Housing at that time, no longer, now that he's running for leadership of the NDP, um, fired most of the board, right. which had been NDP appointees. Right. And a lot of them were sort of of the, the housing advocacy community and replaced them with uh, civil servants, yeah. by and large, including um one of the senior civil servants back in the BC Liberal government administration so this was quite the um bloodletting by EB well, and was just, was this guy was this guy uh, Shane Ramsey the CEO was he pushed out then or do you think he left voluntarily well i'm not sure he was pushed out or did he read the writing on the wall when you have a report come in and quite critical of management of this agency and the board's fired what where does that leave the ceo yeah uh, and the questions were raised at the time. Well, what what does this do to Shane Ramsey in terms of his uh, ability to continue on? So in that context, it wasn't surprising. But nevertheless, that was sort of a rocket he fired yesterday. Very yeah. critical of those who have opposed BC housing social development projects. And he had a reference to the West Side, saying he was rough, well threatened with physical violence at that meeting, public meeting last week on Tuesday over the Arbutus uh, uh, development and also lumping in the attacks on homeless people um, being murdered, a woman being lit on fire, saying the last straw for him was the shooting on Hastings Street last week involving a, a, a Vancouver police officer and a homeless person. Uh, so he decided to leave using all these instances as the reason for leaving. But uh, I don't know. Why, why would you uh, say that the answer to that is to throw your hands up and say, I'm out of here? I mean, it sounds to me like that's the time when you double down and try try to solve the problems mm-hmm. that are walking away from you. Yeah, no, that's that's a good point. Again, he has not done any media interviews. Yeah. One of the questions will be asked: well, Is this tied to the Ernst and Young report and the, and the criticism that came there, or the firing of the board, or is it just simply about these incidents? Well, let's listen to a clip of David Eby on this precise point. So here is Eby talking about why he replaced the board over there before the CEO just resigned yesterday. And some of the problems and concerns uh, at this agency, as E.B. saw it, here he is speaking to Simi Sarah. 
they're running a bank that's worth hundreds of millions of dollars providing loans to developers to construct uh, more affordable rental housing. Uh, they've got about 6,000 plus, just shy of 7,000 units of housing under construction across the province right now. They're probably the biggest developer in uh, North America, certainly in Canada, by number of units. And so uh, we need to make sure they have those systems in place. People may not realize how big this organization is. And how big it's getting. So it went from about $780 million budget about uh, five years ago to now about $2 billion. Yeah. It's supposed to hit $7 billion over the next decade. Uh, wow. It's growing by $700 million a year. And EB's right. It's the biggest developer in North America. And when you've got that type of money involved and you've got an external report from an experienced auditor such as Ernst & Young that's saying, wait a minute, you're not spending money properly. Uh, it does raise questions about how well it's being run. And again, I, I have to wonder whether Shane Ramsey's departure is also tied to some of the problems uncovered by Ernst Young as much as, a, his, as what keeps him awake at night in his note, where these troubling incidents involving homeless people and a pushback by communities in refusing to allow BC Housing to build these facilities within their uh, municipal confines. Yeah, he took a, a clear kind of shot at the... The NIMBYs, you know, mm-hmm. not in my backyard, specifically mentioned that Arbutus project, that 13-story social housing project in Kitsilano, mm-hmm. which faced a lot of fierce opposition from people in that neighborhood. He was threatened with violence. Yeah. Escorted to an elevator to, to get well, out of Well, that's, that's obviously not acceptable and never should be. But at the same time, you know, people have the right to, if, if they're opposed to a project in their neighborhood, they have every right to speak up about it. Oh sure, but this, this is uh, that's by far um, not not the last uh, controversy yeah. involving some of these projects. Yeah, um, it's a it's a vexing issue for a number of communities, and no one's immune from this. I mean, nimbyism is everywhere, and, and especially when it comes at a time when David Eby is poised to become the premier here very mm-hmm. soon, and he's promised a. a there you go, an, making a, making forecasts again. Well, it's my, I'm doing my amazing Kreskin thing. I'm going to predict that he's going to be the premier. Not exactly going out in a limb there. But he's also promised a very aggressive housing plan. Like he says he wants the government to start building housing for the middle class. Well, you got seven. Ne- never mind for people who are homeless. Yeah, so this budget's going to, they're going to hit $7 billion. So not only are they the biggest developer now in North America, they're going to be far and away the biggest developer, period, for years to come. When you're spending this type of money in, in an area that has some of the most expensive real estate in the world, um, it's a major corporate, major government agency. Okay, moving on. Let's talk about uh, Nancy Pelosi, the Democratic member of Congress, and her whirlwind lightning trip to t- to Taiwan uh, and China's response to this. China very Huge unhappy international in, uh, situation. She's left Taiwan now. It was a whirlwind visit. China has uh, engaged now in military drills, which yeah. involves uh, I think twenty two flights going over the Taiwan Strait. Taiwan now on alert. So, of course, there's um, uh, heightened alertness uh, and international tensions, the likes of which we did not see uh, until her visit. I think uh, I've seen a lot of um, analysis on this, speculating how much of this is tied to the midterm elections in November, where the Democrats are throwing a lot of things at the wall right now, trying to change the channel to to boost their chances, because up until a few weeks ago, they looked poised to take a hammer in, but there's, again, the Roe Roe v. Wade uh, decision may work to the Democrats' favor. In in fact, there was a vote in Kansas yesterday, not normally a state friendly to the Democrats, where it supports abortion. Uh, So it seems to have galvanized Democrat voters and 
given that this visit was actually supported by a number of Republican leaders, yes. this may, again, be all about midterm elections more than anything else. She has, has attracted some criticism whether this was unnecessarily oh, provocative. Is it reckless? With China. Uh, yeah. let's, well, let's listen to Biden's uh, national security advisor, John Kirby, here on this point. There's no reason for this visit to become a spurring event for a crisis or conflict or for a pretext that the Chinese might try to whip up for some sort of military action. Of course, we're concerned about that, which is why part and parcel of her trip is to reaffirm the United States commitment under the Taiwan Relations Act to help Taiwan uh, with its self-defense. But again, there's no reason for this to erupt into conflict. Okay, well, he hopes it doesn't, I guess. Well, no conflict yet, but there's heightened tensions. As I say, there's been um, some some action now uh, in China and Taiwan uh, on the military side as a result of this. But as I say, Pelosi's left Taiwan now, and perhaps that'll help calm things down a bit. Okay. Uh, you're a huge baseball fan, mm-hmm. and I know you were saddened by the passing of Vin Scully, oh, one of the, the legendary broadcaster. Arguably the greatest uh, baseball broadcaster of all time, no question. 67 seasons. <laughs> I love his stories. I uh, know. He's just the, the lilt of his voice, his ability to conjure up anecdotes and just offhandedly drop stories about, as Jackie Robinson once said to me, yeah. or Mickey Mantle, or just <laughs> these legends of, of the of baseball and doing it in such a conversational manner. He was calling games, I think, up until a couple of years ago, and he's got some so many memorable calls. Well, it's tough to pick one, but let's pick one. I, um, know, I, this... know, I can guess one or, one or two. It's either going to be the Bill Buckner or the Kirk Gibson one. Is my Okay, guess. your first one was correct. Let's listen to Vin Scully here. Five, five, in a delirious 10th inning. Can you believe this ball game is Shay? Oh, brother. Little roller up along first, behind the bag, it gets through Buckner, here comes Knight and the Mets win it! If one picture is worth a thousand words, you have seen about a million words. But more than that, you have seen an absolutely bizarre finish to game six of the 1986 World Series. The Mets are not only alive, they are well... Okay, one of the famous ones. Well, 1986, uh, I remember that game very well. I'm a Red Sox fan. That was devastating. Uh, 86, probably the greatest playoff year ever in in baseball in both leagues, the championship series, the division series, and the World Series. Uh, Very exciting. But Vin Scully, again, uh, just a a wonderful announcer. And my own connection to that, my wife and I went on our honeymoon years later in Italy. We're in a little town called Ravello in a pottery shop, and Anne wants to buy some pottery. And I'm thinking, well, I'm going to lug pottery around Italy. And they say, no, we'll ship it to you. And I'm still balking at buying these plates. And I'm walking out, and there's testimonials on the wall. And one of the testimonials is from Bill Buckner. <laughs> and I thought, you know what? Okay, sure. I'll take a stab at this. So Bill Buckner had bought some pottery there? He bought some pottery there and dro- said this is great. Did he drop any pottery he, in he, there? It, none of it rolled between his legs. Okay, poor guy. But, uh, I and, make fun of Bill And Buckner. we ate on those plates this past weekend. Wow. So there you go. So that's my Bill Buckner tie-in there to Vin Skelly. All right, it's Baldry's Beat. Lots of calls here. Paul and Burnaby. Hi, Paul. Go ahead. Yeah, back in around 2008, I was part of a committee downtown on the east side uh, to come up with fresh ideas on how to solve the problem. And of course, um, it wasn't accepted because they don't, you're not, you're not solving the problem by going to kids. You're just moving it there or part of it there. The chaos that you see there is just going to occur in a, in a, in a, in a lesser way in, in kits now. 
you know, it, it has to be oh. unraveled. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's solvable. You know, the money that's being spent is not a money issue. It's a commitment issue. And it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, and, and, you know, I, I wrote a report and it, you know, they said, well, it's just not going to go anywhere. There's more of a private sector approach to it, but it, it was to solve the problems. This is what we do in business. We try okay, to stay Paul. profitable. I thank you for the problems. call. Well, the, the, the argument that you're just moving the problem, I mean, that's that's the number of the argument for many people, uh, which is why in urban centers, uh, much of this is focused on one particular centralized area rather than being spread out around uh, around the area. But that's what BC Housing is trying to do is to actually build these this housing in multiple areas rather than just one hyper-focused and, and caller, But when the caller says, though, it's not a, it's not a money issue, well, I don't, oh, know, I don't know about that. I, I think don't there's see how you separate, a lot more money. I don't see how you separate money from real estate in yeah. BC. Rick in Port Moody. Hi, Rick. Hi, gentlemen. How are you? Hope Good. you're having a wonderful summer. Hey, uh, listen, you know what? I, I mean, I listened to the debate you had earlier with Bill and, uh, and the other guests, and I'm I, I'm really baffled. Like the, the whole concept of NIMBYism is is such a useless catchphrase. I don't think these people necessarily are, are concerned about not in back, my backyard. They're concerned about safety. My wife has to go for um, medical treatments for a TBI that she's dealing with from a car accident. So her appointments are in downtown Eastside, and there's some other places where there are uh, another location where there's um, like a, a, a one of these uh, clinics for um, for people recovering, um, and, and it is it is dangerous. So what what you know the whole movement is is you're saying I want to move it from here to you know to Kitsilano in this example, but but you're not taking into account the you know the the people that live there that bought that invested the danger that you're bringing to the neighborhood, and we're seeing it all yep. the time. And, and it's just not being addressed. All, so, uh, all, thank, thank you. All valid points. If you live in a neighborhood, you have every right to oppose something that you consider to be a, a, a threat to your safety or your personal well-being. And if you want to call it nimbyism, that's fine. But um, I don't think that diminishes the rights of people who live in a community to and, and, you know, if stick you talk, up for the community. You talk to people who are opposed to this tower in, in Kitsilano, they'll say, look, we're not opposed to social housing in this in this neighborhood. We just think that this project is too big and the social housing should be more dispersed. Mm-hmm throughout the whole region and not concentrated in a large tower. Well, I mean, it conjures up images of some of the projects in New York City, for example, which are these huge buildings that are just yeah. filled with one type of person, which are people uh, destitute, homeless, yeah. and have addiction issues. And that's that's parts of New York City, and people don't want to see that replayed here. You can call it nimbyism, but again, I think people do have the right to stick up for the community. Sure they, do. They, don't have the, they don't have the right to harass or threaten nope. someone at a nope. public meeting. Not oh, at Shannon, all. Shannon in Abbotsford, hi. Hi, um, I, how are you fellas? Good, go good. ahead. Good, good. I just want to say I'm 60 years old. I've been waiting for housing for years. The provincial government, I'm on disability. Um, the provincial government gives you $375 to live on for shelter. You can't rent a bedroom for that. I think we need a variation of housing. Housing, I think it, it's people my age that are given up also because of the fact that they can't work. They're either on disability or they're elderly. I think we need, you know, housing for people that do have addictions, housing for elderly, disability. I think it ha- it has to be dispersed. It has to be looked at in individual situations because I have to pay $1,200 a month for rent. And okay. 
I have less than $200 to, to feed myself a month. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Shannon, for the call. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, the NDP government has increased, I think, social assistance rates for the first time in a decade and disability rates, but not by much, not a huge amount. I mean, I don't think the increases match well, the what people are seeing in terms of the huge rents they're paying, for example. It's a, it's an unfathomable problem that shows no signs of ending soon.